Vinyl analysis is fueled by Grand Prix Karting. On this episode of Vinyl Analysis, we have radio personality Dorsey in studio breaking down Pearl Jam 10. The thing about Pearl Jam and this album in particular, if you want to look at all those 90s bands and the whole Seattle grunge movement, Pearl Jam and this record, it's a classic rock album. Yeah, they're, they're totally different than the rest of them. I mean, and I think every one of those bands, different sounds. Vinyl Analysis, and I am your host, Arch Madness, along with me like he is every single week of every single season, and we're in our third season, Mm -hmm. the one and only producer, Greg Hansberry. How you doing, Greg? Great. We got a cooker on the the docket today, baby. We got so much. This is like eight pounds that we're going to fit into like a four pound sack. We got so much. (laughs) Is that that a ball sack (laughs) reference? It really, well, yeah, it was kind of a little bit there. But uh, so this is going to be a fun one. We're going to have a blast. And uh, once again, it's a great way for me to say again to our uh, our new sponsor. I want to thank uh, Chris Bowen and everyone over at uh, Grand Prix Karting. Vinyl Analysis is fueled by Grand Prix Karting. Grand Prix Karting, indoor racing, combat-inspired laser tag, escape rooms, and the kid zone gpkcolumbus.com They're Guns N' Roses fans over there. I know they are, and we need to, we're going to do Appetite with Chris. I just need to kind of, it's been kind of crazy with the weather. I got I to call, call everybody. There's like a handful of people I got to call and get scheduled. Season three is going to be a little bit longer than all the other seasons. Is that, uh, I don't know, it's just the way it is. This is a podcast. There are no rules. No, we Traditional make up the rules. broadcasting rules have been thrown out the window. There are rules. Yes. So now our guest, radio personality Dorsey, Mike Dorsey, in the house with us. What's up, Dorse? What's going on, guys? Man, I'm looking forward to this. We're gonna be we're gonna be talking some Pearl Jam uh, here in a few. And when we think Pearl Jam here in the uh, in the studios here at the sta- with the stations and stuff that we all work with, who do you think of, Hansberry? The answer's fucking Dorsey, dude. All oh, right, Jesus. Oh, I, I was like Eddie Vedder. No, no, no Dorsey, no. of course. Exactly. Yes. I, I do not know fucking, a bigger a... Uh, Pearl Jam fan than, than Mike. None. Nope. There is none. And I got to tell you, I, I'm a little intimidated. It, uh, what, Michael, my new glasses? No, you know, Stretch <laughs> was in here last week. Oh. And see, I could come in here and talk Pearl Jam with you all day, but I can't come in here and play Cold Jam. <laughs> you know what I mean? As much as I'd love to. No, I know, man. I'd love to be able to. I, I just just sit in, in, in the cards. I, I've got the beer closer to me this week. And yeah. uh, last week I had it a little over there. It was kind of over near the couch, so I had to I had to have some uh, some some walking over yeah. to the beer music. It's our official uh, beer run music. Yeah, gotcha. So don't worry about that. Did you bring your juice harp though? No, I'm kidding. So today's beer, Hop Stupid, and it is made by Lagunitas. It's one of his favorites. So I made sure I picked that up. 
over at the. Uh, yeah, I, thanks, wish I, could, buddy. I wish I could say the place. That was nice of you. We, oh, yeah, thanks, bro. And thanks for the tacos. Dorsey bought me uh, oh, about that? some Taco Bell today. So he said, hey, man, look, you bought the beer. Let me get you a couple tacos. But I uh, can't wait to get into the Pearl Jam. We're going to talk about your history with the band, and it is quite a history. But uh, what we have now, it's a new segment, and, and, I, and I see you've brought some uh, vinyl to play along as well. We call it What's on Your Table. What's on your table? So let's find out what you're listening to currently. Something old or something new. doesn't really matter. Something old. Maybe something new from somebody old. It doesn't. It does not matter. I'm confused. That's all right. Stop it. Greg Hansberry, what, what's on your table, bro? Jack White is my Ace Freely, like... He's my dude. Fair I'm a enough. Big fan of Jack. He's All a hell of a stuff at, hell of a uh, hell of a just an artist. Yep. He's an artist. Everything he does at Third Man is cool. He does you know produces stuff from metal to country and and everything in between. But uh, I, I've been uh, spinning his 2003 White Stripes Elephant. Oh yeah, read the song title. There's some good ones oh, out yeah. there. Oh yeah, Seven man. Nation Army. Of course, of course. The, it's become an anthem for time, Buckeyes and and it's time sports. to for kickoff. Uh, one of my favorites off the is Ball and Biscuit from this record. Dorsey what? and I were just talking yeah, about we, that we the other day. We just had that conversation. Like a couple days ago. Where were we? We were in a subway parking lot. Yeah, I was telling you about how, you know, I just lost my elephant CD somewhere. And I needed to pick up a new copy of it. And we were just like, man, Ball and a Biscuit. Ball and a Biscuit. Mm-hmm. What else is on that record? That's a hell of a record. Um, In the Cold, Cold Night is one of my favorites. Meg sings that one. Meg White, so you know, uh, I like Meg. I, it's it's just all over the place because there's a lot of hard stuff, but then he gets real cool and s- slow and acoustic. This is when he was at his peak for the White Stripes to me. Did they have, and not to put either one of you on the spot, but I'm just trying to think, did they have one more record together? I think after two. that, or yeah, was it two, two more? more? Well, they had Get Behind Me, Satan. Get Behind Me, Satan. Fair and enough. And Icky it, Thump. Yeah, and Icky, Icky Thump. Thump. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. All right. All but right. This, cool. To me, Elephant is right when they're. They were in their stride, baby. And, and and how does that sound? Because that's kind of a CD band, you know. And I'm, I'm, how does that translate? I mean, does it sound good on vinyl? Oh, yeah. I, I gotta imagine that anything Jack White does. I mean, that's kind of his essence. Is I mean, his his soul is is vinyl, and yeah. obviously. And that's a, yeah, that's from the his thing about Jack's particularly is a lot of his stuff he recorded on analog tape and that's, and, and, that's and right. instruments and that's stuff. Right. I saw them at uh, Express Live at the time. It was called Promoist Pavilion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on that tour when that record came yeah, out yep. indoor. And I got to tell you, I've never got to see Jimmy Page or Led Zeppelin. But to me, that night, to see him up on stage, the way he was playing guitar, the Jack way he commands White, it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jack I know. White. That was the closest kind of Jimmy Page in person vibe yep. I'd ever got, man. He was just on fire. I agree. It, that was at that show too, Dorsey. He he's yeah, he's he's absolutely yeah. just he is he's the shit. So we got Dorsey in here, radio personality, uh Mike Dorsey. Uh, Dorsey, what do you what, what did you bring in? I've been jamming on uh it's a uh 25th anniversary edition of Stone Temple Pilots Core. Look at that. Look at that, Greg. Oh, look at that. You know. That is hot. Um, That's pretty sweet. It's like an encyclopedia. It does. It almost looks like a coffee table book. And once again, you know, you want to say it's a CD band, which it was. Yeah. But it's it's on vinyl. And how does that translate, Doris? I mean, you want to talk about an album. First of all, an album from start to finish that's a masterpiece. I agree. Is Core. I agree. Uh, For anybody who grew up in the 90s or after and was a fan of any of that era, you got to give STP their due, especially this first record. Um, and just from start to finish, you know, one of the beauty things of vinyl that you get away from, like, you know, everybody that has CDs, they skip around. You know, I don't like this tune. I'll skip to the next one. You're blah, committed blah, blah. when you got your like, vinyl, yeah, you man. You know what? This is one that you are 100% golden to just 
put on, let it roll, flip it, let it roll. Every tune is awesome. That's great, man. That is, a, and what a nice presentation, too. That's Damn. a cool thing for these re-releases. They're actually they're really Look taking the that. time to piece stuff together, have uh, artwork, have an accompany accompaniment stuff. Oh yeah, man, accompaniment stuff. I think so. That's that's what the hell that's called. Are you guys ready for me? You ready to find out what's on my table? What's on your table, Arch? Uh, it's the uh, new Iced Earth. Get out of here with your yeah. damn Iced Earth. Yeah, man. Yeah, Incorruptible is the name of this uh, this record. It was re uh, released actually in late 2017, so this is still a fresh record. And I haven't even... Here's the deal, and I've only heard one song off of this, and that was the single, and they have a really cool video for it. Uh, it's called Black Flag, and uh, not to be confused with King's X and their song Black Flag. This is completely different. So the other day... Uh, I was coming back from lunch with a friend of mine, and we were behind you. Okay. And uh, I was like, hey, it's Archie. And my buddy's like, oh, cool. And I was like, yeah, he's probably listening to uh, Megadeth or Iced Earth. <laughs> so we get back to the parking lot, and we get out of the car, and Archie opens the door. Hey, what's up, guys? Just jamming on some Iced Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Of you course. You schooled me on Iced Earth last week. I had never heard of him. Yeah. You told me to check him out, and you sent me a video that night. Yeah, and, Burning uh, Times. Isn't that a jam? It's cool. It's good. It, they're definitely uh, disciples of Metallica. It's it's cooking. Oh, it's thrash. It's mm -hmm. good. And I think they kind of they, they carry it. I think they carry carry the flag a lot now so okay here's the deal this is what it says it has uh gentlemen this is uh, a gatefold cover all right and you got the uh, 180 gram vinyl you got a four page lyric sheet 12 page lp booklet with artwork to each song how cool is wow. that and yeah. it's not even a 25th anniversary no and this is uh <laughs> yeah it's yeah <laughs> special vinyl mastering uh for audiophile listening uh quality so so here we go i'm gonna open it up and uh just i, I think it'd be kind of nice though. i'm gonna smell it too you guys ever smell your records oh, when yeah. you open them mm -hmm. boy i do here we go oh you know why because when we bought it at the store today dorsey was with me today when i when we went down on uh on the ohio state campus to go to one of my favorite record stores and I'll go, can I show him a pop? I give him a pop, right? Sure. Magnolia Thunder Pussy. There you go. And they uh, they uh, kind of lit up the incense there. Some non-chompers. Did you catch it? Like it? Yeah, smell it. It went through the, the packaging. It did. It did. You want to smell it? Here, yeah, smell it. Smell the Sansbury. Some non-chompers. So, here, let's open it up. Ooh, that's kind of neat, right? The uh, the opening there when you, okay, so just shut up. You <laughs> the gatefold. The gatefold. Okay, there's that. that. And then, oh, here's my, here, what is this? What is this book? It's like a Spawn comic book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Was, I had it in my mind. I thought opening this up in front of everyone would be a good idea. But, it's cool. Uh, it is cool, man. It, and I think it's the album. I want you guys to experience the uh, the opening of the album with me. Now, there is, and you'll notice, and we were talking about this before we went on the air, a, a lot of times now you'll get a side one, a side two, a side three, and on that fourth side is like there's nothing there. They're out of songs. Right. So they're never out of songs with the oh, ice earth. You know. But oh look at this. So here is the second LP. I'm gonna open it. Oh, look oh, at that. Oh, it's Ooh, red vinyl. Red. And there it is, boys. So there's the fourth side and there's your artwork. Can you guys make that out that. as I and we'll take some pictures. I'll take some pictures and we'll make sure we get these up and we'll it's a devil, tell you guys. demon, some sort of demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always about that. So there you go. So that is. Uh, I'm surprised it's a demon. I mean, that's not really like Iced Earth. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, a little out of character for no, them. Would you guys stop it? It's this. It's all theater of the mind. They're not Jesus. Like I'm talking to my mom 40 years ago. No, it's fine, mom. They're not into Satan. 
but they do have a song <laughs> but they do have a song called seven headed whore which oh, yeah. they are i've seen on a couple different set lists of uh of their tour all right now we've got dorsey in with us we're going to be talking about pearl jam's debut studio album 10. it was released in august of 1991 august 27th 1991. you had three singles released off that record you had alive even flow and jeremy now, and I was looking this up, Doris. Oceans actually was released like in some some different European countries, which I thought that was kind of interesting. But so we're going to talk about the album Ten. Now, Dorsey, your Pearl Jam bio. How many times have you seen Pearl Jam? I've seen Pearl Jam eight times. Fair enough. <laughs> and and I, and I got to preface right. it by saying I got a late start. Uh, just because of my age, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, when when they those guys came out, you're talking '91, and uh, you know, not to make anyone feel weird or anything, but in '91, I was don't, eight, eight years old. So you know, when you're eight years old, uh, <sighs> I don't think it's your parents will let you go see Pearl Jam. Oh, right. seven. But uh, it's time so, for yeah. shut up, <laughs> assholes. It's time for me to get another beer. Well, and I was th- like, I was like twelve, and I don't want to <laughs> jump the gun, Dorsey, but to wanna... that, that's why I feel like they're so important to people you our age. Because you're listening to the rock stations and you're hearing Zeppelin, you're hearing Who, but they're also starting to play Pearl Jam, STP, Nirvana, and stuff. And finally, there's some cool shit that are actually coming from people who are alive, who are still playing, still putting out cool records. Uh, our quote unquote peers, not not that we're on the same level as them. Well, I mean, we we got fifty thousand directions we can go here mm-hmm, tonight, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we will. But, uh, you know, Archie and I were talking, the thing about Pearl Jam and this album in particular, if you want to look at all those 90s bands and the whole Seattle grunge movement, Pearl Jam and this record, it's a classic rock album. Yeah. They're they're totally different than the rest of them. And I think every one of those bands, and we'll go through some of them, I mean, they had different sounds. I mean, you can, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the bands that, okay, look, when I say the big four for, for, for for my music, it's Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. You as well, in the, you know, the grunge types. I have there, a Seattle you have, Big Four. You right. have a Big you know, Four. Yeah. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. There you yeah. go. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So all of those bands it, it sound different. And really, when I'm talking about my Big Four, they all sound different as they well. Do. They do. Everybody has their own personality. And I think that's why that scene, the Seattle grunge scene, was so damn successful. And not to mention, every one of those bands was so damn talented. Mm-hmm. But Pearl Jam is a band where their influences on their sleeve. The Who, Neil Young, right? The right. Doors, The Stones, Van Halen, Kiss. I mean, they're they're rooted in classic rock. I mean, that's where these guys were raised on. You know, there is a hint, as you and I talked about, with uh, guys like Stone Gossard and Jeff Emmett and Eddie, and even McCready. Uh, I mean, they, they have some punk roots, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the classic rock is the overwhelming source right. of, of their whole thing. They're the bridge, to me. They're the bridge between the old school ushering in and, and, the next generation. And when you think about people comparing Zeppelin and The Who, The Beatles and The Stones, uh, Pearl Jam and Nirvana, mm-hmm. I, I think. You would take the, those, they are the ones, for what it's worth, they're the top two. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're the top two. They are. And would you say, I mean, I mean, the two different styles of music. That's why I, I have a trouble. I have trouble comparing those two together because 
it truly is apples and oranges when it comes to their sounds. Mm-hmm. And now, now Nirvana is more punk. They're, yeah, Nirvana definitely is more rooted in punk. And, and the thing is, they have different sounds, but it's also really unfair and a lot really difficult to compare the two bands just because Pearl Jam's longevity, right. and, and you've gotten so much more. Right. I Fair mean, they enough, put man. out they put out ten records, um, you know, ten studio albums versus Nirvana's three. You know, yeah. so there's a larger yeah. body of work where there's been evolutionary things that have happened within the band. You know, you and I talk, they they don't get the uh, the same amount of press and pub that they used to when Pearl Jam 10 came out. But Lightning Bolt, their last album, <laughs> it's one of the best record That's, rock and roll records that you. have come out. I, and, you know, a song like Sirens, I mean, if that song Sirens would have came out in Pearl Jam's heyday, like... Maybe if it was on Versus or Vitology, it would be a rock single. That's a McCready song too. I think. I think that's a. Mac- I think McCready wrote that one. Yeah. But that uh, really, Pearl Jam, their last two or three albums are phenomenal. I mean, yep. absolutely yeah. Yeah. phenomenal. You know, as I mentioned, because of my age, where I was during that time period, the one thing that I don't have is I don't have that perspective. Everybody says that grunge killed the hair bands. Right. I wasn't there for that, so I don't know I don't know what it was like during the moment. I can only read about it and have people tell me about it, which is why I lean on you, Arch, because right. I mean you were in the thick of it because was... obviously you're a diehard music guy. You were thick into the hair metal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you were there when all the grunge broke. So it, it explain to Greg and I a little bit. You know, it, okay, it's it's 1990, 1991, yeah. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all these guys are coming out. You're still loving all your dudes in the 80s. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to pose you a question that I gave you earlier today. They said the landscape changed. Oh, to oof. you, how did it change? In your life as a music fan, when, that, when these records came out, tell us how, what changed. Yeah. 1990, 1991, I am on the Ohio State campus. I'm living in my first apartment on Chittenden Avenue. If you've ever been to Ohio State, and I'm talking about 1991, so we're it was party flipping central down there, Animal House, and there was such a good music scene, such a good music scene with a lot of the clubs and stuff like that. When 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 the Seattle movement hit, for it was it was Nirvana first. I remember there was a show that people were talking about, and they still talk about today. There was a show Nirvana played at a little place called Stashes on the Ohio State campus. And this would have been the the, the first regular... Bleach. This is, they would so have been is, torn for bleach. bleach. You know, no Dave Grohl, none of that stuff. But there was a lot of talk about this this sound that was going on. When Nevermind hit... Well, I was just going to say, and apparently 90% of people that live in Columbus were at that show. We're at that <laughs> show. But I'll tell you right now, I wasn't at that show. I, there, and there's a handful of shows that I, I, I missed, legendary shows, and, and that is that that is one of them. But I remember when Nirvana hit, there was uh, there was some different clubs that we would we would go to. Uh, one of those was Mean Mr. Mustards, and Mean Mr. Mustards was a really really cool. Uh, it was it was a dance club per se through the week, but there was a thing on Sunday night and it was called ACDC Cult Night, and they played a lot of different types of music. It got to the point, and this is an exaggeration. Maybe the managers didn't say this to us directly. But word on the street, it got so crazy that they weren't even allowed to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Everybody got so fucking wound up when this song came on. And it created like this giant mosh pit. It got to the point, and you know, it was that was the, as we got older and stuff, I was like, man, they banned that? I don't know if that was the case per se, but they did 
kind of back off on when they played that and stuff. It was that intense, guys. It was it blew up. So yes, I was an '80s metal kid. Now you're as far as hair metal goes for me, and a lot of guys in Gen- Generation X, Kurt Cobain didn't kill the hair movement. All right, James and Lars killed it <laughs> in the, in the mid to late '80s. Uh, Daryl and and Daryl Abbott, you know, Dimebag killed it. You know, in the late '80s, into that movement, into the early '90s, and I think of the Clash of Titans tour. On the Clash of Titans tour, when it came over to America, and MTV was backing this up, and this would have been around 1991. And this is a show that I regret I did not go to. On the, it was at the Patel Hall in Columbus, and I was living here when this went down. You had Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax, and opening up for those three bands was a band called. Allison Chains. Wow. So, and I remember also hearing about uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax, and I think it was David Elfson of uh, of Megadeth, and they were kind of back, they were off to the side of the stage, and they were watching Allison Chains, and they could see it. Almost felt like dinosaurs, and here comes the comet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is this is the this is the future. Now, some of the bigger bands were able to survive. Metallica survived, Megadeth survived, Pantera survived. Some of these metal bands, the hair bands, they didn't as much. They were the ones that were on on MTV. They were the ones that were getting played. And at this time, you had all these clone bands. I mean, you had the Tricksters, the Slaughters, um, the um, trying to, the Firehouses, and, and some of these bands that were getting played on the radio. Nirvana, yes. Absolutely fucking destroyed that <laughs> and sent it packing. The bands that were worth a shit, and and I like, dude, I like Slaughter, I like Firehouse, I still like that. I didn't, I don't give a shit about that. But it 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 got the, the there was so much fluff, there was so much overflow. This was and it sounded the same. And quite honestly, at the end of the grunge movement, towards the end of the '90s, you had that as well, guys. You had shit that sound. Everybody was trying to sound like Kurt. A lot of copycat. Everybody, there was a yep. lot of copycat, and that's silver what chair. you get. Silver, this, you know, yeah, the God silver chair, but still silver chair. No, you and you know what I'm talking about. It happens. Yeah, where it gets pushed to the side, and thank God, bands like Pearl Jam, bands like Soundgarden, you, you think of you know, and even STP to a certain extent, if there wasn't for their and Alice as well, were able to kind of get past Push it through. all. Obviously, the 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 whole drug thing with, with that music scene, and it still is taking its toll. But I don't know if that answers your question or not. It destroyed one particular type. The popular, the the warrants and the poisons and the Cinderella's and the shit that I dug. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I like thrash and I liked hair. That stuff got kind of pushed out. The harder edge stuff didn't because there was a metal element to some of this music that was coming out. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Seattle. No doubt. Did any of this cultivate resentment towards these bands for you as a dude who was you all know, in on the hair or were you was your music not love cool for with music yeah like my love over, for music was was yeah yeah uh, and 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 i never strayed from any of of the of, of my core beliefs or bands right you know i was still i was following pantera wherever they went i was following metallica wherever they went megadeth i was still doing that but i was enjoying the grunge scene and I, this is something that I have never even really talked about. This is, and you know, I'm a dad now, been married over 20 years, but I think I can share with Dorsey <laughs> and Hansberry this this story. 
I would say Pearl Jam's 10 album. Would you, would you call it a, uh, a love soundtrack, maybe? Something like that? But there was a way on my old stereo that when we first got the CD and had the disc changers and all that stuff, but you were able to program songs. And it went like this. It went black, oceans, garden, and release. Boom. On a repeat. Okay? <laughs> and you would play that. And these, I'm telling you, dude, that was the way you hit the lights down low. I don't even know if you can do this shit anymore. But you hit the lights down low. Me too. And you just, you just, thank you, thank you, Greg. But yeah, and it was there was there was an element of everybody. Everybody was taking this music in. Everybody, the guys, the girls, the some of the metalheads, some of the some of the pop people, some of the. It was it was attractive to everybody. It was attractive to everybody. And I'll say this: out of all the bands, I loved I loved Alice in Chains. I loved Alice in Chains. They were probably one of my favorites out of the out of the big four. But Pearl Jam, even at that stage, you knew live studio, they were the real fucking deal, Holyfield. I mean, they were they were they're different. And their live show still to this day is one of the best live shows. But I think the masses really embraced some of this music and 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 everybody was listening to it. It didn't matter what kind of music you listened to. Cool. That was the beauty of that movement. And see, the thing that's so interesting is because of me being late to the game, right? I I was really drawn into them, first of all, because of their influences. I'm a guy who grew up on classic rock. My dad loved, Oh, you're you old know, man, dude. My you dad kidding me? introduced me to everything yeah. classic rock. And, you know, so I, st I started getting into Pearl Jam. But you got to think, I started getting into Pearl Jam in the late 90s early 2000s so that ship had sailed as far as popular and being the cool thing oh it to was do. yeah you're right you know what i mean you're right man and what was cool about it is around the same time i mean that was kind of pearl jam's thing they were like you know what we're over it we're shunning everything screw mtv screw interviews screw music videos screw ticket radio master. You know? screw radio yeah, yeah the dudes really, fought fucking Ticketmaster, you know I mean? yeah, man and they went up against Ticketmaster. so that was kind of the thing so i really really identified with them during that time and it really drew me in god bless those guys Guy, and, and I'll be honest with you, I checked out. I checked out the, those first two or three records. So you had you had ten, you had versus, versus Vitology. Vitology. I, those three records, and even because I'm, I'm I'm in college, and those were big. Mm -hmm. Those were big records. I was playing that on college radio, even you know, and, and college radio never left Pearl Jam. I mean, they were still even in the you know the mid to late 90s there when I was kind of graduating or, or hoping to graduate <laughs> by that time. I know my parents were saying, you know, the rosary there for me. But I we finally got that. But that music was being played on college radio. They never turned their back on Pearl Jam even after Versus. I think they were still embracing uh, that, at least, they, at least you know, at, on the radio station I was in, in college. And it was, it's, it was just amazing to watch the thing blow up. The show at the Newport here in, in Columbus, uh, the Pearl Jam show, and I was living on Chittenden, and I remember seeing every, I mean, it was it was a big deal. And that would have been, if you look at the, the way the singles went, this would have been, you know, because that was always the rumor. Uh, the uh, Alive video. Was filmed at the Newport, There was yeah. always, and there you go, there's a little something else that was going on back then. That was part of the, the mystery. It's like, oh my God, you know, I heard part of that was filmed there. Because... Now, there were a lot of people I know at that show that were at that show. And they did other, you know, Pearl Jam had like three, there was like three or four other shows in Columbus in our area here 
before it really broke, and and I, I, they might have did vets or I, I don't know the they extent. They did play vets with uh, Chili Peppers and Smashing Pumpkins. R- right, Dan right. Orr always lets me know that he was at that show. See, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a dick move. That is such a dick move. But uh, you, you know, but that that one show at the Newport, right when all that, right, I think it was before the videos kind of broke. But there was a buzz about about Pearl Jam and what they brought live show wise. So sure. So anyway, all right. So Doris. So you've seen him eight times. How long have you been in the 10 fan club? Uh, since 2000. So going on 18 years. So the Seattle trip, and you also took the Seattle trip, and you went, like, the one time I went to L.A., I made sure that I went down and, and did the whole Sunset Strip thing and saw the bars that all the bands, you know, the Van Halens went, you know, cool. the Motley Crues and, you know, Metallic before they split for Frisco. And I made sure I saw the whiskey and all that stuff. But there are landmarks. There are things in Seattle as far as this movement went as well. Tell, tell us about some of the some of the staples that you saw there. Yeah, I went and visited uh, a place. It, it's interesting now. It's a uh, Latino dance club called the El Corazon. But it is the site of what's called the off-ramp. And let me get a little historic on you here. Here we go. Go for it. That's so, why we brought so you in, bro. That's the more where per- you know. So that's where right. Pearl Jam's first show was, okay? And here's where I'm going to start dropping the knowledge, okay? Do it. Pearl Jam started as a band called Mookie Blaylock. Yeah, they were Mook. named after the guy from the New Jersey Nets, right. Mookie Blaylock, basketball player, okay? So they were known as Mookie Blaylock, and their first show was at a place called The Off-Ramp. Well, The Off-Ramp is now El Corazon, and it literally is just, you know, a regular type of bar right by an on-ramp, off-ramp to the freeway. So that's why it got its name. So I stopped by and checked that out. So here's another interesting fact. Mookie Blaylock, you want to take a guess at what his number was? Ten. Oh, Ten. That's a there you go. Hands, that's why Pearl Jam's album, first album, is called Ten. Uh, you know, originally they were going to call themselves Mookie Blaylock. They realized that they'd run into some trouble using his name moving forward, so they settled on the name Pearl Jam. But as a homage to that, they called the first album Ten. Um, you know, Same. probably the first person in the band who's a huge basketball fan is Jeff Ament yeah. or Jeff Ament. He's the bass player, and uh, the dude's a huge basketball fan. Don't they, like, I, I remember, like, always back in the day, like, when MTV would interview these guys and, and, and stuff, they were always, like, outside the studio playing fucking hoops. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you know? cool, too, because you, know you talk about the like hair big... bands who, like, totally shun yeah, all of that. Yeah, they're know? always... So, so let me get a little deeper still. Okay. okay. Oh, here we so go. The second Down place. The, the Pearl Jam rabbit hole. <laughs> Another, um, yes, this is a Pearl Jam rabbit hole, but it, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. So then the second place I visited is London Bridge Studios. Okay, that's where Pearl yep. Jam 10 was recorded. Okay, here's the story. My Die. wife and I, we knew we were going to Seattle. We get online. We look up the studio. I schedule the tour. Okay, you can pay and, and get a tour of the studio. So we're in Seattle. You know, we don't have a car, rental car or anything. So we, take, we take the public bus and we get off where, wherever the hell Google Maps is telling us to get off. <laughs> and, and we eventually, we're walking along a freeway. You know what I mean? And we eventually get to the area where this studio is. There's no signage for it. It's a warehouse, right? It's like a warehouse, and it's just a sign with a number. No sign that says London Bridge Studio. So then uh, we start walking, and she's like, my wife's like, well, where do you think this place is? I'm like, well, be in a studio. Maybe it's all the way in the back. So we go all the way to the back, and there's the, the door and everything, but kind of behind the studio is a little asphalt area. With a basketball hoop, uh, a broke tight. down basketball hoop. Do you think? And I'm like, I'm like, no. this, I was like, I was like, this has got to be the place, right? So uh, we knock. Nobody comes to the door. Nobody comes to the door. We knock. So eventually, my wife just opens the door. It's unlocked. We walk in, 
and there's like this engineer there and this dude's just a great a stoner and he's like oh <laughs> hey guys wh what are you doing here and i'm like oh well we're supposed to do a tour at 10 30. and he's like oh did you uh, pay online i'm like yeah he's like oh right on right on <laughs> so he like uh now, now, now here's what? the beauty here's the beauty of uh of this studio also london bridge studio <laughs> um rick parishar is the guy who produced and and they also did temple the dog at this studio okay let's go a little further back right okay when you want to talk about the pure roots of pearl jam it really all starts with jeff amen and stone gossard being in a band called green river that's where it really all starts. Those guys were in a, a legendary Seattle band called Green River. Then they eventually morphed into a band. They joined up with a guy named Andy Wood, who was mm. in a band called Malfunction. Okay? Okay. Malfunction was the other. They were two well-known, pretty big bands for Seattle, local Seattle bands. And they merged, and they formed a band called Mother Love Bone. Now, before you before you even, let me stop you there, Doors. Uh, Dorsey, radio personality, on with us here. We're talking all things Pearl Jam, especially the 10 album. Now, Mother Love Bone, I bought that. I had that. That was something I had before that, you know, and, and you, you mentioned Dan Orr. He was into it. That was one of the bands that Dan and I kind of talked about when we first met. It's like, were you ever into Mother Love Bone before the whole Pearl Jam thing blew up? Like, yeah. There was a handful of us Gen Xers. That was that band might they, have done they, it. They were on the cusp. That band they, they, might they have fucking the done it. They had a major label deal. Yeah. They put out the album. The unfortunate thing, as we've seen with so many of these Seattle guys, you know, the drugs got the best of them. Uh, Andrew Wood, you know, unfortunately died of, a, of an overdose. Now, here's here's the thing to get a little more into the history here. So Chris Cornell was roommates with Andy Wood. And these two guys would sit and write songs back and forth, back and forth. And you talk to anybody, you see any interview, anybody that knew Andy Wood said that this guy was a superstar. They said that this guy would play shows and... You know, it'd be like a, a place that would hold 50 people. And they said he'd be up on stage, putting on the show, acting like he's in a 20,000-seat arena. He had like, a David Lee Roth charisma he, he to did. him on he stage. Did. He'd be like, to the people in the back. You know yeah. what I mean? And the place <laughs> right. is like 20 right. feet deep. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, Roth never had those pipes. But 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 that charisma is very DLR-like. So, after the death of Andy Wood and, and Mother Love Bone falling apart, as you said, if you really want to find something that really kind of shows you what was to come with Pearl Jam, and the one song that I point to off Mother Love Bone is a song called This Is Shangri-La. Mm. If you look that song up and you listen to it, musically, you, you, you hear Andy Wood sing, which he's he was an amazing singer-songwriter. If you would take him out of that and just listen to the music, That's you're, stone, like, you're, like, you're like, that right there is the beginning of the Pearl Jam 10 sound. Yes, you can totally that, that hear right that. right there is. So, unfortunately, he passed, and Chris Cornell, being his best friend, kind of had these songs that he written about Andy, and he kind of wanted to do like a tribute. So he recruited the guys from Mother Love Bone, which was Stone Gossard, and was uh, Jeff Ament, and at the time, they were forming Pearl Jam. So at this time, they got uh, Mike McCready oh, to join the band, who was a childhood him. friend. Love him. And then they got... Ed Vetter, who just came to town, and I'll tell you that whole story here in a minute too. So he just great? came to town. Isn't this great. So these guys, these who needs guys, Google? these guys are at London Bridge Studio, and they are recording "Temple of the Dog." And I guess at the time when Eddie first came to town, Eddie was living in San Diego. He just came to town to be the singer for this new group, and uh, they're recording the song uh, "Hunger Strike." Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know they're recording it. 
Chris Cornell singing it, and he's singing all the parts, and he didn't really know how to make it work. And they said just Eddie, who anybody barely even knew Eddie, and he was super shy, said that he just came up and he just started singing the second part to that song. And they're like, you know what? That works. So they recorded Hunger Strike. They recorded the whole Temple of the Dog album at this studio. What an amazing record, so too, I, that so is. I, so Jesus. I went to this studio, and I'm here, and I'm just in awe. I'm just in awe that I am at this place. Records like, um, you know, Temple of the Dog, Pearl Jam 10, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, all these bands recorded in this studio. So I'm here, and this stoner guy is, <laughs> is trying to give me a tour, and he's just like, yeah, he's like, over here's our uh, kitchenette. We had that put in a couple years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, I don't give a damn about your kitchenette. <laughs> yeah. like, show me where the vocal room is. So here's the thing. Does that have a garbage our, disposal? Here's our microwave. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? It doesn't work out well. The, the, there was no vocal room. It's a hallway. It's just a hallway oh, in between two rooms where musicians were. And it's in that hallway where Chris Cornell song, where Eddie Vedder song, mm, where Lane nice. Staley song. Wow, bro. You know what I mean? Oh, and you he, were like... It's like hallowed ground. It really is. And uh, it was just amazing to be there and to round out the whole story here of visiting this studio. So we were kind of going through everything. They had all the platinum and gold records of all the albums that had been recorded. They're hanging on a wall. And the Pearl Jam one had like a basketball hoop and stuff. And uh, the guy's like telling me, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what was up with Pearl Jam and all the basketball references. And I said, well, you know, they used to be called Mookie Blaylock. I was like, they named their album 10 because Give that was his story. number. And he's like, well, hey, man, he's like, uh, maybe you should be giving the tours around here. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, you, know, sounds like awesome. you should have. So, all right. And so, he decided to come back to Columbus. Thank you, Mike. You could have had a gig there. We've been talking all, about all these bands, and, and one name that keeps coming up is Eddie Vedder. Now, how did that all come? How did that work is out? He, is he from Chicago? Obviously. All the, yeah, the, he was okay. out in California, though. I thought he was on the beach. I pictured him okay. as the beach guy, so right? I'm, so I'm going to give you the, the bridge version, but if you want to get deeper... The book, the Pearl Jam book that I read that, that is just amazing, it's called Five Against One. Mm -hmm. It's by Kim Neely. Kim Neely was a Rolling Stone journalist. It's an amazing book. It's everything you need to know about Pearl Jam. I highly recommend it. Okay? The abridged version is Eddie lived in the Midwest, okay, moved away to the West Coast. Eddie's uh, mom had a, uh, you know, he had a stepdad. Didn't right. know who his dad was. Didn't know he, who his he dad thought was. His stepdad was his real dad, right? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. That it's was called thing. alive. Yeah. Right. Hansberry. Pretty much. Yes. That's alive. We'll, oh, we'll that get song. to that. We'll get to that. that. I've heard of that one. So Eddie moves from the Midwest. He's living in San Diego. Eddie at the time is he's out surfing. Like you said, he's the he's the California dude. He's right, surfing. Right, right, he's right. on the beach. He's in a band called Bad Radio. Okay. So a guy named Jack Irons, who was the drummer for the Chili Peppers at there the time, go. right? He knew Eddie Vedder. Okay. Well, when Mother Love Bone fell apart because of Andrew Wood's death, there was a tape floating around, okay? And this tape was some music that the guy, that Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament put together as kind of like a, hey, we're trying to find a new singer. We're trying to pull this thing back together. Lay something over this. Yes. So gotcha. this thing, this thing through Jack Irons from the Chili Peppers made its way to Eddie Vedder. Eddie took it, put his words to it, and he sent it back to him. And they never changed any of the lyrics, any of the melodies, and those became black mm. and alive. Tight. You know? Ugh. And that that's what he sent them. So when they're like, who is this guy? And they brought him to Seattle. And, and the you know, rest is effing and, and history. That, yeah, and the man. rest is history, man. That's man. that's how Pearl Jam came together. And that's so cool. Like it was just the perfect 
stew pot of cool shit going on at the time for that to happen. Now, like t- something like that would never happen today, you know. Well, and that's the thing, guys. Let's let's think about this. And we talked about my experience as an '80s rocker when this all hit. You talk about Dorsey's experience, your experience. I wonder if we'll ever have anything like that again. You keep you keep because it's so you know pop music and and what's popular. Hell, it's been stale for ten years, guys. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You talk about, you know, taking uh, hair bands out and giving them an old yeller ending. <laughs> He's my dog, Mom. I'll shoot him. You know what I mean? There's nothing. I don't know what's going to come down the pipeline. You hope rock and roll is going to, you know, Gene Simmons says rock and roll is dead. You wonder what's going to happen. Right. We were lucky enough and, you know, and God bless the guys in Pearl Jam, but they are on the upper end of Gen X. I mean, you know, that was kind of, that was that was my... That was my my age group. I, I don't know what's going to happen or if anything will ever save it. They saved they saved it, man. They, they did. really truly they did. did that 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 whole that whole all those bands that we have mentioned. That, I mean, their role in in really making sure that rock and roll made it into the next century. And you know what? I I can't I can't remember exactly what what documentary it was, but um, right in there, I want to say it was Chris Novoselic. And he basically said, and he wasn't the only one. I've heard other people say it in different ways. But they basically said, you know what? All those guys, they were doing it for the music. They didn't care about the popularity or the fame. And they said, you know what? They said, pop music, they said Seattle didn't go to pop music. Pop music came to Seattle. Right. You know what I'm saying? They weren't searching that out. They, they, they had were their found. own thing. They, they had their own thing going. Right. They had their own thing going. And something else I want to make sure that we get uh, on, on tape here. Before we uh, before we wrap this up and figure out what we're gonna put onto this as far as a uh, a playlist, because remember the Spotify playlist it's a nice accompaniment to vinyl analysis episodes. Yep, of course at qfm96.com you can find a Spotify playlist. It's the it's a fine uh, wine pairing to the podcast we're speaking about. It is, and and before we get into the songs, Dorsey, before we get into the songs, we got to talk about the show we went to. Yes, we do. Let's before we go through the songs, and I want I want you to kind of I'll throw the the songs from ten at you, but it it would not be a vinyl analysis unless we had a Kiss or Ace Frehley reference. <laughs> so if you want to, and you're the guest, go ahead and and and, and uh, tell the listeners and, and tell Hansberry about our trip to Lexington to all go right. see Pearl Jam. So here's the deal: uh, being a member of the Pearl Jam Ten Club for all these years. They tour about once every three years. And I always make it a point of mine, like, it's an experience to see Pearl Jam live, sure. and it's really difficult to get tickets. If you're not in the fan club, and especially good tickets, it's really difficult. So I always make it a point of mine. I have one of my best friends that he's gone with me more than anybody else. But, you know, I also like to like people I know that really want to see Pearl Jam and want to experience this, I try to make it happen. I'm like, hey, you know what? If Pearl Jam comes near us, we're going, okay? So they announced their, their tour. And they're in Lexington, Kentucky. So I told Archie, I'm like, we're going. And we're going to get as close to fucking Mike McCready as we possibly can for you, Archie. Right. We ended up getting fo- <laughs> we ended up getting we ended up getting floor seats. Dude, this is the best. Me and Arch go. We we get to Lexington. We spend the night there. We uh enjoy uh the accoutrements of Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah man. Had a we good had a blast. night the night before. Okay. Yeah. So we're out, we're hanging out the night before the show. And we just decide on a whim, you know what? You know McCre- you know they're here. They're here, they're in town. Let's uh, let's tweet Mike McCready. He's a huge Kiss guy, huge Ace Freely <laughs> fan. We're like, let, let's tweet, let's tweet him. 
Let's tweet him and let's tell him there's an Ace Fraley symposium going on right now at this bar we're hanging out, and he should swing by. So all night long, we're just tweeting at him and putting, tweeting this, tweeting that. Hashtag Ace Fraley Symposium. Oh, we were using the Meme Factory app. You we know, were making all kinds of cool all looking kinds of stuff. Yes. So things to attract him to we, us. We never heard back from him that night. Okay, so the next day, we get in line. We do the whole spiel. We get third row. Oh yeah, it was third, third row, man. Third row on Mike McCready's side. And we're both just like, oh, you know. And by that time, we, we, we thought it was funny and cool, but we just didn't think anything more of it until the band comes out. The band comes out, and I kid you not, Mike McCready just so happens to carry out a copy of Kiss Alive 2 and place it by his amp. <laughs> so we kind of look at each other like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. What's going on what here? What is happening here? So then throughout the course of the show, once things get going, you know, obviously they're rocking, and McCready's right there. And uh, Archie's wearing his Ace Fraley T-shirt. Okay, See? so then McCready, Ooh, I, you know, McCready's rocking. He looks over and he sees Archie's <laughs> Ace Fraley T-shirt, and he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, cool, cool." Well, Archie also has a tattoo on his shoulder. Yeah, of we've Ace all heard makeup, story, okay? Arch, <laughs> so okay, Archie, great. Archie lifts yeah. his shirt up, lifts his sleeve up, and he sh- points to McCready and shows him the Ace tattoo. Right, and it was at that moment. That McCready put two and two together. Yeah, and man. he's like, these are the two idiots <laughs> these that were tweeting me all night about <laughs> yes. Ace Freely. Yeah. Getting me up all night. But then Dorsey. So then, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, then he goes over and proceeds to grab a, like Rick Nielsen would say, that's too many picks to throw out. <laughs> he grabs this handful of picks, points at us, and throws the picks into the crowd, into our section. <laughs> and he's pointing at us and looking at us oh. so much that people around us are like, like do you know, do you know, guys know him? Know do you McCready? know McCready? And we're like, yeah, we were just tweeting at him last night. Like, we were drunk tweeting him. <laughs> and then that's, so that was that whole thing. And it was, it oh, really was man. one of the best live experiences I, I, I've wow. ever had, man. And it was an amazing show. I mean, every Pearl Jam show now, when you go see them, it's three and a half hours. It really yeah. is. Oh, they play 30 songs, yeah. and then they come back and do an encore after that. And they play anything and everything you want to hear. And we were even lucky enough to hear their cover of uh, Comfortably Numb, which oh, wow. was, it was I, spot on. And, and one thing I do remember from that song at that show, everyone knows the solo in Comfortably Numb, as far as classic rock, as far as rock goes, I mean, I want to know a better solo, a more iconic solo. Than what Gilmore does and comfortably numb. It's it's one of the most amazing sounding uh, tracks, but that solo in and of itself is is iconic. It's one of the best in rock it history. Is. Yeah, absolutely. Pearl Jam does this, and McCready, I mean, oh, he nails spot it. Spot on. Wow. I mean, he nails it. Spot on. And I remember we're standing there, and I remember Vetter coming over to him and like saying, "Man, yeah. you nailed it." I remember him saying, "You nailed it." It was like, here are these millionaires. You know what I mean? Just he fun. nailed the song. He nailed the solo. It must have been important to him. I mean, they all acknowledge. I mean, they're music lovers. You know what I mean? And for Eddie to say, "Man, you nailed it. Good job." Like that That's was. Awesome. I just thought that was one of the most coolest fucking concert moments. And kind of getting that was when we were in their conversation. We kind of got to see what they were talking about, and that solo was important to McCready and evidently Eddie Vedder as well. And let me cap the road trip story off real quick. This Go is, for this it. This is a sidebar, but oh, yeah, it but must be told. Yes, do it, Dorsey. So, you know, we went to the show. We spent the night the night before. After the show, we're driving home to Columbus from Lexington. It's about 2 in the morning, right? 1 or Oof. 2 in the morning. Oof. And we're just on what the freeway. And we're, we're just outside of Cincinnati. And I'm driving. And I look over. And I just start cracking up. 
And Archie's like, what, what, what? And I'm like, hold on, man. I was like, I'm going to slow down. I was like, I want you to just look over. So we stop. I slow down. Archie looks over. What did you see? This guy's driving a truck, and he doesn't have a door. <laughs> and you go through these stretches from Kentucky into, yeah, yeah, into yeah. Ohio. When you're, but there's this one part where there's no lights, and it's just dark. And you could tell this son of a bitch was just trying to get from the bar to his house. He didn't have a fucking tr- a, a door. <laughs> and we uh, stopped, and we looked over oh, at him. I'm laughing my ass And we off. both just cracked up, and he was so pissed. pissed. He was so pissed <laughs> ass. So Dorsey, like, slows down so I can look at him like, <laughs> dude, laugh. you don't even have a fucking door on this thing. And he's, like, driving. He's, he had this look on his face like, fuck you, just keep driving. I'm trying to get home safely without a Dewey. Leave me alone. I know I don't have a car door. Dude was driving without a car door. Oh, man. It was one of the best. It was That was that trip was amazing, Dorsey. So hit us with some of the songs, because I want to I wanna just hit some of the right, ones we that weren't radio staples, too, but just real quick. Here we go. Once. Once Upon a Time. You know what I'm saying? It's the best, man. That, what that, a great intro. About opening track to an album. It was awesome. And we got to hear that. I was very excited to, to hear that song live. That that one really translates live. Uh, Even Flow. That's a no-brainer. One of the all-time great solos as well. I say Even Flow. You know, and I know you guys are throwing a lot of McCready's solos around there as far as what's 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 his best and what's... I, even Flo, I, I got to put that in. That If that's not his best, I don't know what the hell is. Well, and live is phenomenal. The live version, and when he does a solo and he plays behind the back, he does the Hendrix tribute and all that shit. I mean, he's... Mc, fuck, dude. I mean, I know everyone makes so much out of, like, Eddie Vedder, you know, and the way Stone kind of started the group and, and Jeff and all that stuff. I'm telling you, man. I, I I'd put McCready up against anybody. I'd put McCready up against he he is definitely one of the best living guitarists that we I, have. I fucking I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. And, and I if saw you don't, if you don't believe, I, if you don't believe us, sit about three rows. Sit about three rows from the son of a bitch, <laughs> and tell him you love Ace Fraley. Yeah, and you let me know what you say or what you see alive. Okay, real quick story of alive. Greg hinted at it. Yeah, you know Eddie Eddie's, Better grew up. He grew up. Uh, you know, not knowing who his dad was, okay, uh, thought that his stepdad was his real dad, okay? Mm-hmm. His real dad was a family friend who would come visit him. That okay? is so crazy. So, so, so this guy would come over, and it's just like, you know, you think this is just all, oh, it's one of your parents' friends, and it's your real dad, okay? Well, his real dad ended up dying, got sickness, and died. And it wasn't until after his dad died that his mom revealed to him, like, hey, you remember our friend so-and-so? Yeah, that was your real dad. I mean, and and that was Do the basis I deserve of life. To be? Is that the question? We got to sing once at least yeah, once and, on and the show. And that's the beauty. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we need some opera man for sure. Oh. You know what I mean? Oh, that was but, yeah, that's but great um, but that's the thing about it. And then you know, God, he, a great song. Years later, great years, song. years later, you know, Eddie Vedder talked about it on the VH1 Storytellers. He said, you know, that song, that song was, you know, being alive was almost a curse. Like, you know, all this bad stuff happened and all this weird stuff with my family and here I am I'm still alive to deal with it all and he said it was because of the fans and the way that they took it and they transformed that song yeah. to not be a curse to still be alive but it's like you know what it's a nephew you know what I'm saying hey I went through all of this and you know what I'm still here I'm still alive man it, one of the great frontmen too man his voice and a lot of guys their voices don't make it into their 50s that's not the case with Eddie Vedder. And, and Super those powerful. Those first couple of tracks of Ten, he's just so raw too, man. He's got a growly, awesome voice. Oh, his oh, oh when he was in his twenties, that's yeah. a whole other. 
It's cool that's, on that yeah. record. Why go? Oh, that's an amazing song as well. I mean, you know, here's the thing. The subjects that Eddie was talking with, and, and you can talk about this too, Archie, one of the things is you look lyrically at what a lot of the songs from the 80s hair metal was about. You know, a lot of it was excess, sex, drugs, yeah. partying. These songs and these bands kind of hit more on a personal level. Well, yeah, man. You know, He's talking about, about his dad that died. Now we go to Why Go, but I'm just saying you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, it's one of those things where you go in the Wayback Machine and, and people in the early 60s and 50s, like divorce and weird family situations, they were a thing, but they weren't talked about and they were kind of shunned. And then you go from this baby boomer generation that turned in, you know, Gen, Gen Xers that, that, divorce and that's, weird family that's situations us, man. and that's stepdads. Us. That's and us. That was a whole new thing for a society it to really deal was, with. man. And it was always swept under the rug. No one talked about it. Like, you know, yeah, that's my stepdad. Yeah, my parents got divorced. But that was a real thing, you know, and, and it's like those kids that dealt with all that, they kind of swept all of that under the rug, too. And then Eddie's like, you know what? Let's 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 bring this to light here. We had a lot of shit going on as Gen Xers. We just did, guys. And it, it's I'm I couldn't be more proud of a generation. I know everybody's proud. You know, you got baby boomers, and and those guys have some amazing stories, well. But I'm really what proud about of the fucking millennials. No, you guys are fucking trash. Man. We're the in betweeners. Yeah, like, we are. We really are. Whatever it is, that new, claim, whatever that new anything. category they came up with that's between Gen X and, and millennials. That's yeah, us. That's well, us, yeah. guess what? Guess who's getting laid? Because I'm hitting the black light, and we're playing black. Oh yeah! Do you guys it's remember the love uh, soundtrack for Arch Madness? Do you remember Letterman's obsession with that song? Oh, I do. And then Eddie actually Why? came out and then Why? told him to stop. He used and, to do that all the time. Yes. Oh, that was a great bit. And then Vetter came out. Yeah, he did. And basically, you know, told him to stop. That was just <laughs> that was cla- a great moment. And great didn't, TV didn't moment. Didn't he play uh, on Letterman's yes, last did. week? Yes, he yeah, did. He, man. he transformed uh, Better Better Man right. into Can't Find a Letterman. No Letterman. And, and let's remember, Dave Letterman, he actually did their speech at the their uh, induction, the, their induction that's speech right. at the Rock that's and Roll right. Hall of Fame. Uh, Jeremy, I mean, the story that I mean, that's almost like a John Lennon, the way he was reading a newspaper article. Yes. Is that the way I, you know, I mean, that's very Lennon-esque. Well, and how many again, holes does it you, take to fill the Albert Hall? You know what I mean? And you want to talk about another song that eventually took on a whole new meaning. You know, yeah, Eddie was writing that song about something he read in the paper. And, you know, about a kid that came to school that had been bullied and took right. his own life. But that song took on a huge meaning for all the other stuff that happened. Oh, my like God. In, Paducah, in the 90s. Oh, and Columbine. Dude. Oh, dude. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Whole new meaning. It really did. Uh, Oceans. Oh. Come on, man. I mean. It's on my soundtrack. It's on my love soundtrack. So here's the thing. There's there's a lot of bands. <laughs> um, the one that comes to mind the most, and I've heard him talk a lot about it. It's the edge from you two. Yeah. Talks about building an atmosphere with oh, the song. Oh my God! There's so much and, of that on and this that record. Song, yeah, a lot of it in the record. But that song in particular, when I think of a song, and you want to talk about a song with atmosphere, that's one. It just has a feel to it. Porch. I mean, back to back to back to back. I talked about Stone Temple Pilots earlier, a record that you could put on and just play. Oh. Same thing here with Pearl Jam. Garden. Garden's one of my Garden might be my favorite song off the album that wasn't a radio hit. Okay, mine's coming up. Mine's the very last one. We'll get into it in a second. A uh, deep. It's another great jam. Yeah, that one's very very blues heavy. Um, I think it really derived out of a jam session, and it's evident in the type of song that it is. Uh, my my favorite on this record release. release. Yeah, and and it's one I wish I I've got to hear it live. When I've you, got to hear it live. And when you talk about oceans, I've got to hear that live. When you talk about oceans, yeah. I would say release is the same thing. It's a very atmospheric song. Yeah, man. 
it's a very mood changing song. You know? Eddie was just I, I just think that's him at his best at that moment. I I, he, I feel that. I mean, some of the other songs, yes, are high energy and they and they have the 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 feeling and stuff. But that that there's something about that song that really encapsulates the time. I, I can that just it smells like 1991 when I hear that song. It's one of those ones. Stop it! <laughs> yeah, it smells like Nog Champa. Stop! It smells like Drakkar Nowhere. <laughs> That's what it smells like in the '90s. But anyway, so those are those are the tracks from there from from Ten and Doors. Thanks, man. And here's the thing, you know, and I'm sure a lot of Pearl Jam fans are gonna be very excited about you know having this this story told, you know, the way it was. Doors, you did a great job. But they're going to have to sit through about five minutes of Iced Earth talk. It's probably going <laughs> to piss them off a little bit. It's probably going to piss them off a little bit. But how about that trip we just went on, Greg Hansberry? Dorsey, thank you wow. so, so much. That was phenomenal, man. You knocked it out of the park, and I knew you would because no one knows more about this than, than you. Now the, now, the Seattle offense, I know a lot <laughs> about that. And it's strictly dog shit. But when it comes back to the uh, the music scene in the 90s and what those guys in the late 80s, I mean, you're talking about Green River and, and some of that stuff. I mean, it really is amazing, man. There's just so much good music. Mm -hmm. And there's so much. And, and one of the other things I really love about the whole scene was the mixture of the bands that got together as well. You know, just to, to riff a little bit, you know, you had a band like Mad Season, which consisted of Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, Mike McCready of Pearl Jam, Barrett Martin from Screaming Trees on drums, and then some guy that they met in rehab uh, that played bass. But right. uh, but you know what I mean? Like kind of like that extra guy in Blind Faith. Yeah, <laughs> you don't really know who he is. But, but you know yeah, what I mean? Like thanks, bro, for showing up. These guys, these guys were buds. You know what I mean? Right. Like they they just got together, they jammed together, they went and seen each other's shows. It was just awesome. It wasn't it wasn't a competitive scene at all. It was a real big brotherhood. You know, we talk about rock and roll. Will it? Will rock music ever like do this again? But I wonder if a city will ever have a scene like that again. You know, from my era, it was it was L.A. Man, it was L.A. and and that whole that whole scene. Will that ever happen again? No. Boom. You look into the '90s with what Seattle was able to do. I don't know, man. I I, I I'm not saying I'm with Gene Simmons, but it's going to be tough to replicate what that group did there as far as saving rock. In the 90s, my man. So, Dorsey, thank you so much. I hope you had a blast. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Let me this come on and like just... A, uh, this is going to be a two-parter? Shit, we talked for like an hour <laughs> this there, This is dude. one yeah. of the longer ones we've had, but we've had a lot of cool stories. We really did, man. We Good really job, did. Doris. Doris, and we knew it would be that way. So, uh, and you can catch Dorsey on, uh, if you if you know, for the folks... There, we got people all around the world to listen, Doris. All right? We're, sure. And so, you know, I tell people we're based in Columbus, Ohio. And that uh, you can uh, go to our website, qfm96.com. You can also uh, listen live at yes. qfm96.com. Yes. You can catch Dorsey's show on Sunday nights, right before uh, Sunday Night Live in concert. And I have one last request. Okay. If you live in the central Ohio area uh -huh. and you listen to QFM 96 mm -hmm. and you enjoy hearing Pearl Jam on QFM 96, just do me a quick favor. It'll only take you five minutes. T. McGinty. <laughs> at columbusradiogroup.com just send him an email yeah. say in just three words play more pearl jam yes for producer greg hansberry i am arch madness and this has been vinyl analysis stay frosty <laughs> do 
was driving without a car door. Oh, man.